you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. Were you a great math student? Or was math a real challenge in middle school and high school? Do you know anyone who says, oh, I'm not very good at math? If so, listen in today for an in-depth discussion on the middle school math crossroads. I will say that the students that have a harder time and that I'm trying to do a better job of reaching are the students who become frustrated and break down when they don't understand something immediately. In better words, it's students who don't have that math grit. And that's something that you can't teach that overnight. And that's something that I'm trying to just infuse into my classroom throughout the course of this school year. And I hope that the students who have really struggled initially when they encounter a problem and they have that fear of failure, so they just shut themselves down. I want them to be comfortable with failure. And I believe that having them become comfortable with failure will make them just be grittier mathematicians. This is the podcast where we talk innovation, not just any innovation, but innovation in education. So we're breaking from our normal format on today's podcast. Normally, I interview successful lifelong entrepreneurs or people in successful professional careers that have been in their field for quite a while. But we're breaking from that pattern today uh, to talk to someone who is a very recent graduate and stepping just recently into the classroom as a math teacher. Now, Corey is not just any mathematician. He believes very strongly in the idea of collaborative work and multiple pathways and approaches specifically the idea that there isn't just one way to solve problems but there are a variety of possibilities now in math it's true that you do have to end up at a logical answer i mean math is just connected to everything however many students come to middle school and find themselves at a crossroads but if you knew as a middle school student that by succeeding or failing at math, you are opening or closing some significant doors in your future, would you consider it more carefully? I wanted to speak with Corey because he is a new math teacher and he hasn't been indoctrinated by the system yet. He hasn't had enough time to be jaded by years of frustration and pushing back against a large system. And any system is like that, whether it's a corporate system or education or public policy. Pretty much every large entity in our society gets to the point where it has a, an immense inertia. And young teachers or uh, new employees or students just coming into high school, just coming into college, just being introduced to a new subject, have this excitement and passion. And as a culture, I think it's important that we find out how to foster this, how to grow it, how to encourage it. So let's listen in as Corey and I discuss the topic of mathematics 
in the context of a teacher who is just beginning to learn the ropes and just beginning to find their stride in the classroom. And I think you'll find that Corey Howard is a breath of fresh air to the math students in his school. My guest today is Corey Howard. Corey enjoys kids who are enthusiastic about education. He's a seventh grade math teacher at John Muir Middle School, and he's the sponsor of the Invention Club there. Corey, tell us a little bit more about what you do there at John Muir. Hey, Steve. Thank you so much. Well, so excited to be here tonight and just describe a little bit of what's happening in my classroom. And first and foremost, what I'm passionate about is just bringing technology into the math classroom, just at the seventh grade level. So we have a couple of cool projects coming up on the horizon. We have a lot of really interested students who are creating really cool things in our invention club. So I'm excited to share all that with you tonight. So how did you end up in the classroom in the first place? Yeah, good question. So I actually had a securitist route because I didn't quite start in the classroom. Um, I've experienced in the elementary school level, but my real experience is actually at the college level. And for the past two years, I've been an admission counselor for Pepperdine University. So just mowing through applications, reading, and being the primary decisioner on over 2,000 applicants. So my territory was from Texas to the Carolinas, read a lot of applications from that pool, and realized that although it was a really impactful moment in people's lives when they get to choose which college they want to be a part of, it wasn't really where I felt like my vocation lied. I was more interested in finding a place where I go more in-depth with students on a daily basis. So looked around, realized that after getting my credentials in undergrad, um, going back into the classroom was the best route for me. So that's how I ended up in the classroom. And what I'm really passionate about, I'm really passionate about the fourth to seventh grade age range. And for me personally, that's when I started developing different anxieties about school, started really feeling like I needed a mentor in order to really become the best version of myself I could be. So my goal is to just be that for someone else in my classroom. And I hope it's going well so far. How did you end up in math specifically? Why, why math? Why math? Great question. So I think that math is just such a beautiful subject. And it's so accurate. It's so precise. And it's really a subject that is so limited in the minds of my students. They really put math in a box right away. And I did too. When I was in seventh grade, I felt like math was just a series of numbers. And when I got into the higher level math in my high school years and in my Pepperdine years, I realized that math is so much more. And math is much more of an art form almost. And that's something I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to bring that art form into the classroom. So I, I'm really passionate about math. I'm really passionate about what math is able to do when you look at it as more than just numbers. So in my classroom, we do a lot of activities where the students are trying to experiment with making math bigger than just the numbers. That's really seen a lot of growth in how students approach math as well. And even just this year alone, watching as my students, we actually come up on a fourth of a year mark next week. And watching the difference between where my students have started in their first week and where they've gone in terms of just appreciating math and what they can do with math has really, it's made me really happy. So I hope that that continues throughout the course of the year. As a new teacher, Obviously, you went through the school system, but coming in from the other side, what's, what's it like coming in as a new teacher into public education? Yeah, good question. So, yeah, I'm in public school at John Muir Middle School, and it's really interesting because Muir is actually a pretty large middle school. So there's over 1,500 students at this middle school. So there's a large staff on hand, and the staff has been tremendously helpful in preparing me as a new teacher. 
And already I have two or three teachers that I can go to for mentorship, I'm running ideas by them and just really saying, hey, is this something that is a little too far in left field or will actually hit home with the students? And that's been something I've really appreciated. What's been most interesting is classroom management has really just taken on an extension of my own personality. So everyone always talks about in your first year how difficult classroom management can be. And really for all the first year teachers out there, all the new teachers out there, I've found that I'm at my best when I'm allowing my personality to shine through and really just being sincere with the students and trying to approach it from a culture of care. That's been what's worked best for me. It's also tremendously hard. I feel like I'm not sleeping right now, but I wouldn't be doing it right if I were sleeping. So <laughs> that's just kind of how it goes. Let me back up for a minute and, and ask you some questions. So was math a natural subject for you? It, you kind of indicated that you struggled a little bit with math in middle school. How did you end up in math in college? Where did that transition occur? So just talking about it, growing up, I actually grew up in the district in which I'm teaching now, which has been a really cool opportunity. But growing up, I was in all of the advanced math classes, and I was a student who was never quite good at finishing off all the details of the problem. So I would get three-fourths of the way done and be like, all right, I can skip a couple of steps, not show my work, accidentally make a stupid mistake, and then get the wrong answer at the end. And I was actually highly penalized for that during my middle school career. Very little partial credit was given. And it was very much there's only one right way of doing things. So that's how I interpreted math, is there's only one right way of doing things. And because of that, and because I wasn't the type of student who would be able to completely check off all the details within all the boxes, I had a very difficult time just having someone talk at me, tell me these are the details, these are the steps you need to take, regurgitate that information on the test. That was very difficult for my learning style. So what I developed, I developed a deep-seated math anxiety. It was really interesting because this math anxiety actually lasted all the way through probably my junior to senior year of high school. And then I started really encountering other students. It wasn't even teachers. It was other students who started seeing math differently. They weren't apostles of the, there's only one right answer for this mentality. They're apostles of the, there's different ways that you can approach this and there's different ways that you can learn this. And when I started realizing that and started going into my math classes at Piperdine, where it was much more group work, a lot more project-based, just a lot easier to approach it in the way that my learning takes place and the way that I process information, I started revisiting different algebraic concepts and realizing that there's a beauty to math and there's more than one way to approach all these different types of problems. For instance, what we're doing in class right now, we're learning about mixed numbers and how to add mixed numbers together. That's one of the seventh grade standards. And a different way you can think about it is by creating a visual representation where students are no longer algebraically solving the conversion to improper fractions and adding across. What they're doing is they're actually finding the area of the space that the mixed number will occupy. And just being able to show students that in comparison to the other solution, I can already see how students who are like me and didn't quite get it when it was presented in one way, these students are able to really start seeing math in a new light and seeing that there's so many more patterns to math than what they thought possible. So my personal conversion was when I started seeing that there was more than one way to see the pattern of math. And it took a lot for me to personally get past that math anxiety. And I'm very cognizant of that math anxiety when I approach my instruction now. So that's one thing. The second thing that really helped me get past the math anxiety was 
honestly, it, it was being able to access technology in a new way. And it's interesting because I feel like there, um, there's a theorist named Prinsky and what he does, he talks about digital immigrants versus digital natives. And his research was primarily in the 90s. And he was talking about how right at that moment in the 90s, there was a cusp. And there was a difference between people who were born in the 90s or later. They will always be known as digital natives. Their mind thinks with technology. They process the world differently. Now, digital immigrants, they're people who technology is not quite a first language for them. And they'll always have accents of the time in which technology wasn't present. And we'll try to bring that into everyday conversation. So it's interesting because I personally, I've always thought, man, am I a digital native or am I a digital immigrant? What am I bringing to the table? And it's times like this when I think about math, when I realize that the way in which I process information, technology was my outlet. It was a way for me to discover that math could be seen as something different than just a bunch of numbers. So really a combination of meeting other students in my junior and senior year of high school who showed me different ways of approaching math. That's half of the way that I got over my math anxiety. The other half was finding new forms of technology where math was imperative in order to use the technology. So no longer was math the end solution. It was just a means to an end. That's another thing that really prompted me to become a better mathematician. So yeah, I'm really passionate about math, but what I'm more passionate about, and the reason why I'm teaching middle school, is helping students overcome that math anxiety. And that's something that is really important to me as I approach the classroom. Well, let's explore that a little bit because you're in a unique position to talk to us a little bit about that emotional journey that students are traversing there in middle school, you know, partly because you're seeing it every day in the classroom, but also partly because you experienced that and you almost went on the dark side of that and somehow managed to find some excitement in math before you exited high school. What does it feel like as a student coming into a math class every day and finding, well, what does it feel like? I don't want to put words in your mouth. What does that feel like in middle school? Here, I'll talk about how I experienced math, and then I'll talk about how I try to set the culture in my classroom so that other students don't have to experience math that way. So when I experienced math as a middle schooler, what I really experienced was a routine, which is great. Routines are a wonderful thing but a very rigid routine with very little creativity. It was very formulaic. And you would go, you would check your homework solutions. You would copy down the corrections that the teacher made. You would listen to about a 10 to 15 minute lecture of direct instruction, taking very thorough notes along the way. And then after that, you would do some problems and whatever problems you didn't finish, you would do for homework. I think a lot of us have grown up with that type of math classroom. And that's a classroom where, for me personally, it was hard for me to focus for more than five to seven minutes at a time. I would get distracted. I would think about other classes. I would even, for me, I would just want to get ahead so I would have extra time at home. So I would do homework for other classes in those class, in my math class. So what was happening is I was missing the beauty of math because I wasn't engaged. It was an engagement problem for me. And once I got a little older, got a little more mature, and met other students, as I said, it wasn't the teachers, it was the students who saw math differently, they, they were engaged by math for math's sake. That's when I started getting on board and started overcoming really the deficit that I had built for myself because of the middle school years. It, the anxiety was a result of a deficit of my knowledge. 
Let's set the middle school aside for just a second now, and let's skip forward to college, because you took a fair amount of math in college. Tell me what it feels like in a math class in college versus in a math class in middle school. Yeah, so I, I had some great professors at Pepperdine, and my professors at Pepperdine were some of the most caring professors I ever had. And it's great because by no means is math an easy subject. And when you're taking college level really advanced math classes, you just know that you're going to put in about twice as much work as everyone else around you. That's just what it comes down to. Um, not only that, your professors expect that and they care for you in that. So just as long as you put in the work, they're willing to put in the work. So for me, as someone where math maybe isn't as intuitive, I would have to work twice as hard to get half as far as my classmates. So I would spend hours and hours working in study teams, working by myself, and also working alongside professors. And really, I like to think of it as I try to develop a math grit and a comfortability with failure being okay. And failure was just one way of eliminating all the incorrect solutions before arriving at the final solution. So for me, I might come arrive at five or six wrong answers before I finally was able to get on the right answer. But I kept trying and I kept going and I kept going. So for me, those classes were actually, that's probably my limit of my math aptitude. That's what I'm capable of doing or some of those classes that I took. But I was able to see that and I was able to see that that's where that lies. And it's interesting because I try to take that and that math grit that I was really developed in college and I try to teach that as much as possible within my students. So I try to emulate the same qualities that my professors had of presenting very difficult challenges, but also presenting just a really comfortable environment where failing is okay. It's okay to make mistakes because we're all in this together and we're all trying to learn more together. And that collaboration really is a big thing for me. That's something that really helped me in my college career. I have a confession to make. So I, I have a math degree. And as a physicist, I, I sat through a bunch of math classes in college in order to get stuff, the appropriate background I needed for the physics that I was doing. And on many occasions, I mean, I just remember sitting in a classroom and there was this building excitement as we could see something that was pretty abstract and all the pieces were starting to fall in place. And then suddenly the keystone got put in and there's this beautiful pattern and something that the teacher was, you know, just finishing on the board or had just, uh, I have this very vivid memory of uh, working with some boundary value problems. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head what they were, but the professor was doing a string of proofs and suddenly wrote down the three dots. And of course, we're all sitting on the edge of our chairs wondering, well, what is he going to write down? And he wrote down the fundamental theorem of calculus. And I was like, what? How's that even possible to be related to this? But it was there. And so I love this idea that you brought up a few minutes ago that math has a lot of different ways to get to the same answer. Because my feeling about coming through math was it's about all these patterns that are back there. And in college, the professors were excited and they knew about all these other pathways. And it's like being in this house where there's all of these secret passages and stuff. But when I was in high school, I had a similar experience in, in middle school, I had a similar experience as you did, where I didn't know about any of those secret passageways. And so to me, math, it was kind of interesting, but it wasn't nearly as interesting as some of the other things we had been doing. So did you have professors in your, in your experience there at Pepperdine that kind of had that same excitement, that same love of math, you know, going around the behind the unusual corners in the math world. Oh, of course. And 
that's something that in order to be an amazing professor at that level, you got to have that love. You got to just be able to have a love of showing people the pattern, as you said. And probably the one who resonates the most with me was Dr. Lucas. And Dr. Lucas was, he was the professor that, as I said, he challenged students the most. And he had su- he set such a high bar with his expectation of what people were capable of. And then he stood by the class as he was presenting these facts, as he was presenting these patterns. It, it, and it was so well-timed and so well-calculated in how he would deliver his message. And it was done extremely well. But beyond that, he also did an amazing job outside of the classroom. And as you said, there's always more than one way to arrive at the solution. For me, I would have to see three or four ways in this class sometimes. And he would patiently and methodically just show me the beauty of each pathway. So I love how you say that about just a mansion with all these secret passageways. I think that's a really good metaphor. So tell us a little more about what you're doing now in your classroom to engender that love of math. How do we help middle schoolers find that passion for math? Yeah, definitely. And just to be a little more precise with exactly what I'm teaching, I'm, I'm teaching math seven. So it is the last year of pre-algebra pretty much. And it's all the final concepts that they need before they go into algebra itself. And it's really nice because all of these students are the really different abstract topics are starting to pop up for the first time. Like we're, we're introducing the variable for the first time, different things like that. And that's where, as you said, if we're thinking about math as a mansion with all these hidden passageways, I think that this is where students enter the mansion for the first time is when students hit algebra. And I just get to show them the door to all the secret passageways. And that's something I really appreciate. In my classroom, what I try to do is I try to get students talking to each other, both in class and outside of class as much as possible. So instead of the traditional stand and deliver approach, what I have is I have nine groups of four students, so around 36 students in each class, a little less in some classes. And they're all working together, starting with a problem, wrestling with that problem, seeing what the problem is, and then working together to see if their team can find a unique way of solving that problem. And then from there, I'm able to monitor on an individual basis with each group and see which groups have solved it which way, get groups talking to each other if they have two different solutions that are both correct, and just get them seeing that math and the patterns of math really go beyond just one correct answer. So that's something I've really enjoyed. And um, if you walked into my classroom at any given day, you would see that group work happening and that problem-based instruction happening right away. The other thing you would see Uh, Do you find that the students resonate well with that idea of having multiple pathways to the same answer? Is that something, I mean, are are you finding other students that had that same approach that you did that they need that in order for math to become more interesting? Yeah, I do. So what this pathway does is um, the students who are going to be able to just listen to an idea and repeat that idea, they're really thriving in this class. So a student who would really thrive in a traditional math classroom. They also thrive in this context because they're able to hear each other and really hear the different thoughts of how people are going and go ahead and continue down that path. So those students are covered. The students who are like me, who need to hear three or four ways of seeing the pattern before they understand the pattern, they're able to collaborate with both their teammates in their group of four, as well as other teams. And whenever there is one team, so um, a cluster of four students who just absolutely thinks of a brand new way of approaching the problem, 
I'm able to honor that. I'm able to present that to the whole class by saying, hey, go to the board, show the class what your discovery is. And using words like discovery, making it seem like this is something, this is our lab together. And this is a place where we all get to work together to really just learn to love math and learn the patterns within math. So those are two groups of students right away that do very well. Um, I will say that the students that have a harder time and that I'm trying to do a better job of reaching are the students who become frustrated and break down when they don't understand something immediately. In better words, it's students who don't have that math grit. And that's something that you can't teach that overnight. And that's something that I'm trying to just infuse into my classroom throughout the course of this school year. And I hope that the students who have really struggled initially when they encounter a problem and they have that fear of failure, so they just shut themselves down. I want them to be comfortable with failure. And I believe that having them become comfortable with failure will make them just be grittier mathematicians where they're able to just tenaciously approach any math problem and get to the solution in due time. So I just want to uh, stop for a minute. And if, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and your kids are in school taking math, math is one of those hinge subjects in middle school that I don't think people understand quite how important it is. Um, when I worked for the Navy, the Undersecretary of Defense sent out a representative from their department who oversaw the labs. And he gave us a little discussion about uh, the Department of Defense and their needs for uh, qualified American students to staff our Department of Defense uh, high-tech engineering, science, and math positions. And he mentioned that the turning point in a student's life is in middle school, in math. If a student doesn't do well in math in middle school, the likelihood of them climbing back up out of that challenge is very low. But if they get math there, then they're set for any career that they want to attack in engineering, science, math, any any of the technical subjects. So teachers like Corey, they're heroes in my eyes. These are the people who are creating our next generation of technical innovators. So Corey, two thumbs up for, uh, for taking on this challenge. Well, thank you, Steve. I really appreciate that. And it's nice to get thanks with a thankless job. But that's not why we do it. And all the people that I work with, it's, it's really cool to be on a team of teachers at the middle school level where day in and day out, we're just excited to bring that care into the classroom as well. And I think that just a combination of having that math grit combined with just the care where the students know that they are cared for by me, I think that's a deadly combination where they're not locked out of different career paths down the road. So that's the goal. Well, you mentioned a few minutes ago, you, you brought up the topic of technology, and that's one of the questions we like to bring up specifically in the podcast. In this day and age where students have iPads and they all have a cell phone and technology is just at your fingertips, and I mean, everyone's got a, a scientific calculator on their cell phone if they want one. What does it mean in that environment then to be educated? What does that word educated mean? What does that word educated mean? Great question. Well, Tell you what, it it really, for me, I don't think technology has changed the way that education really happens. I don't think it really will. There's going to be no replacement for the teacher. There's going to be no replacement for the fact that students need each other and need the connection with each other and the connection with a master of knowledge in order for information to be learned. All technology has done is given people the opportunity to enhance that learning and enhance those opportunities. 
So for instance, even just within the last three hours, it is past cool hours. I've answered five different questions on the online classroom that I have set up with all of my periods of math. And not only that, I've had nine students answer each other's questions within the last two hours. And it's creating what technology has done in that case. It has taken the conversations that started in the classroom and it has expanded those to happen outside of the classroom as well. For better or for worse, there are less seams in our world. And technology has really bridged some gaps where it's so easy to be in community with other groups of people at all times. So in our classroom, some main things that we do, we try to use that community to an advantage rather than a disadvantage. So the students are always online, they're always collaborating with each other on those online classrooms. So that's one thing that we do. Second thing that technology has really been able to do, it's been able to take different ideas in math that are very hard to visualize or very hard to understand. So for seventh graders, the one that we're wrestling with right now is the concept of a proportional relationship. And we're trying to see how many different patterns, how many different ways can we experience and discover proportional relationship. And one way that we're able to do that is just by looking at different relationships between Mr. Howard when he was in seventh grade and, and his shoe size compared to his height, compared to where I am now. So that's one visualization that worked for about a third of the students. But another visualization was the 3D printer. And we have two 3D printers in our classroom and we're able to show proportional relationships and size and volume and all of that. And just, I can't tell you how many students when they are using that technology and have to actually scale things to fit certain parameters, it all just clicks into place. And it just makes so much sense in their minds. So that's a technology that has really empowered students to understand proportional relationships in just such a powerful and such a new way. But all that is, that's an enhancement. It's not changing the game. It's just taking things that teachers have always done and allowing them to make it even bigger. So that, that's my view of where technology is. But in this digital age, technology is more than just electronics. It's more than just the iPad. It's anything that a teacher uses in order to help out students in understanding what they're trying to be taught. So for instance, today, instead of Pokemon, because Pokemon is a big deal at our school, we're doing fraction mon, where students are creating different fraction cards in the form of Pokemon cards and have to construct their understanding by creating these fractions. And they're actually trading problems with each other and making sure they're correct. And it's turned into this full trading card game. So that's just one example of, that's an old technology that's going full circle and being used in the classroom right now. So with that backdrop, a little more philosophical question, what is the purpose of an education then? I think the purpose of an education for anyone is education is nothing more than allowing people to realize their dreams. Education gets you from A to B. It allows people to really wrestle with things they love and figure out what they're really passionate about and get there. So for an education for me and an education for someone else may look very different because we're passionate about different things. We're learning in different ways. And I think that students need to have the opportunity in education. So within the elementary, middle school, high school years to just learn how to love learning. And if you, if you have that love of learning and that curiosity to discover different ways of thinking, um, different appreciations of various cultures and different ways of just approaching topics, then that is what education is all about. So that curiosity is a major component. Um, the second major component, education is not a solitary thing. 
education is community. It's really people need to be with each other and see each other's curiosity, see what really sets people on fire with passion and with excitement. And once they see that, they're able to participate in that and they're able to learn, oh man, that that's something I want to be a part of as well. And I think that that's the two elements. It's that curiosity as well as the community in order to have a place to foster that curiosity. That's what education is to me. I don't know that anyone's quite put it that way, Corey. Thank you so much for that, uh, that perspective. Thank you. And we're going to wrap this right there. And uh, what is the best way for our audience to get in touch with you if they have questions or curiosities about the middle school classroom and math? Yeah, so Corey Howard 6 is my Twitter account. So feel free to go to that Twitter, Twitter handle. That's C-O-R-E-Y-H-O-W-A-R-D-6. You may also reach me by email at C-O-R-E-Y. A H O W A R D at me.com. That's Corey A Howard at me.com. And I would love any and all questions. Still my first year of teaching, but really excited to be in this profession. Corey, thank you for taking up the mantle. Thank you for being here on the podcast. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity. Did you enjoy today's guest? Let us know on the Tabletop Inventing Facebook page. Just type in Tabletop Inventing into your Facebook search to find us. And while you're at it, like our page. To find out more about inventor camps, after-school programs, training opportunities, and our premium innovation fellowship program for high school students, visit inventingzone.com. That's inventingzone.com. Don't wonder about the future. Sign up, and we'll help you create it.